What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Your half-baked ideas about professionalism aren't going to get the job done if you want to build an elite team. Transparency, vulnerability, and trust are central to building elite teams. Unfortunately, many sales leaders don't lead that way. Instead, their default leadership style is to try to do everything by a spreadsheet, and that's not a pathway to success. That's a complete mistake, according to Dewan Brown, who is the head of sales at Merit America. Let me give you a little bit of background on Dewan. He serves as a sales advisor and consultant to a number of different companies in a variety of industries. He started out waiting tables in the 90s, so I'm pretty sure that's going to inform some of his sales philosophy. He's always had a passion for people and service. That passion has translated naturally into sales. He's had significant success as an individual contributor and as a sales leader. He attributes a lot of that success to his belief that sales is a human contact sport. Dewan Brown, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Ed. So let's get into it. When we were doing the show prep, that element of you waiting tables really caught my attention because one of my, I think my first job was being a busboy. So I wasn't even a waiter. Mm -hmm. I was like below a waiter. And that informed a lot of how I showed up later on in my career. So what I'd like you to do is tell us a little bit more about your story so that the listeners can connect with you and your experience and the lens that you bring to this conversation when we're talking about building elite teams. I'm glad you said that too, because my, if you look at my about me section of my LinkedIn, there was a restaurant in my city called Spinnaker's. And that's what I did. The first thing I ever did in the restaurant context was I was a busboy. And the story that I tell there, that's where I learned that really like a growth meant like a growing down. So like this humility to say, there's nothing that I do. The, the more I serve others in the context of being a busboy, and you, you can relate to this, the more I got paid because it was about clearing off the tables for the servers so that they could turn their tables as quickly as humanly possible. And they made more money and therefore I got tipped out more. And so it was just this epiphany, if you will, that where service and, and selflessness was born in me at that point. And I was young, right, during that time. But that is what service is. And so I moved from that to being a, a server slash bartender. It's very much the same thing, right? Like it's really being attentive to the needs of others. When I waited tables, my goal was, you know, none of my tables should ever have to ask me for anything, right? I should be attentive enough to see that the drink is less than half full. I should be attentive enough to see when they have used their last napkin, right? I should be attentive enough to see that they've dropped their straw or dropped their silverware and immediately be there to replace it. Those are the types of things that differentiated myself from other servers in the space. And it, and it was what drove the success, absolute selflessness, attentiveness to both detail and people and needs and curiosity were the types of things that kept people coming back and actually asking, could they be set in my section? 
for subsequent visits. There's a few things in what you said that caught my attention, even in that little bit of a description that you had. And the things that stood out about what you said is what made you successful in the service industry was delivering before the need was even verbalized. It, it really points to paying attention. When mm -hmm. you look at those principles, delivering before the need and paying attention, how did that serve you when you're working through companies like Intuit and Microsoft? Tell us how that prepared you for being successful. Harkening back to that time as a server and, and you've spent time doing the same thing. Often when you would attend to the need of these anticipated needs of your guests, they, the need was not unknown. It was just that the need, it, they were busy. There were things that they had, they were talking. They were in the midst of conversation with those who are other guests at the table with them. And so when you came with the water or when you came with the tea or when you came with the, the new napkins and things like that, it was just, it was a pleasant surprise. And it wasn't a situation where they were like, I didn't even know my water was out, right? No, they knew the water was out, but they hadn't had a moment yet to articulate the need. You were just attentive enough to attend to it prior. And in sales, it's the same, but it's both internal and external. So when we think about these complex sales organizations, you mentioned Intuit, you mentioned Microsoft, even Bloomberg. Like we, we think about the complexity of the cross-functional collaboration that is needed. There are times when you have an opportunity to do the same thing, like in conversation about either a particular deal or a particular customer or a particular strategy that's being laid out. You hear something, you see something that you can actually attend to. And, and as proactive as you can be, the deeper the relationships, the better the relationships, the more value you bring to those relationships in the context of your prospects or customers or clients, as well as the relationships that you have internally within the organization. That's not different, again, than seeing someone who needs water, who hasn't had a chance to ask for it yet, but just attending to that and bringing it to them proactively. It's the same sort of thing that brings value in the context of sales, especially in complex sales across a, an organization. That actually provides a pretty decent bridge. I opened the show mm -hmm. by saying some of those ideas that exist out there in the world of work about professionalism and about leadership, they're dated and they don't work anymore. And they're not right. going to put you in a position to build elite teams. So tie that together. How does that fit in with what you've seen as the secret to success when it comes to building really strong sales teams? I still feel strongly about it, but ultimately it's a question of value. It's a question of value to an organization. It's a question of value to a particular team. It's a question of value that's seen and, and, and measured in other spaces and other, and, that, and it's not different with people and individuals. It's this idea that no, you, your opinion is very valuable. Your experience in the world, apart from work, is very valuable. Your experience in the world at work is extremely valuable. Your perspective and POV as an individual is extremely valuable. And in, in aggregate, the opinions, perspectives, POVs, experience in and out of the work world, family of origin, place of origin, all of these things are so critical individually. And then when we bring them together, and we are empowered and enabled to bring them as they are and bring them as they actually exist. And we don't have to cover it and we don't have to, we don't have to put the frosted glass over it or any of those sorts of things. And there's space made for that. Then people individually flourish, the group and the team flourishes in ways that I think is just transforms the whole culture of the organization, certainly of the team. And that is when and where you see people performing. And oh, by the way, leading in that, 
like leading in that, hey, I have a perspective too. I have a POV. I have an experience in and out of work. I have a family of origin, a background, a place of existence prior to being in the corporate space at all. And I want to bring, I want to bring and lead with bringing those things to the table. And as I bring them to the table, they're on an equal plane. So I don't put mine on a, an elevated side of the table or a portion of the table. We're all putting our chips in on the same table so that we can grow and teach, learn. And when that is real and becomes the ethos of the team, then you start to see amazing things from people because there's a willingness to do things without fear of failure. And if we all feel that freedom and that liberation, then it tends to lead to, in my opinion, high-performing teams. You're talking about bringing your whole self to work. And for those folks who are listening to the episode, you have two brown guys that are talking about this stuff. And (laughs) the, the reality of it is that, and you have two brown guys who are in sales talking about this stuff. I like bring your whole self to work. But the reality of it is Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of gatekeeping that exists in the world of work and sales in particular that Mm -hmm. conditions those folks who are not in the U.S. majority to not show up in authentic ways. So my question to you is all of that stuff that you talked about, all of that stuff that you just mentioned, what do leaders Mm -hmm. need to do to be more intentional, to allow that to exist and create space for it to be like an active part of how you build culture. There, there are a couple of frames, that, at least a couple of frames that you can think through. What do leaders need to do? Need, uh, on the one side, we can think about from a data-driven perspective. Leaders need to recognize that teams who are diverse and feel confident in bringing their whole self to work and being free to exist as they are in the space of work, like teams that are made up of that level of diversity are more profitable teams, right? So there's data around that. And maybe that's what particular leaders need to recognize and believe and get grounded in order to start to think through, like, how do I then become that? Or how do I then implement that on my team? But I think even more foundational than that, in some ways, is like just the belief that you have a story, you have a perspective, you have a family of origin, you have a lot of the, you have an experience, you have information, insight, and perspective. all of these things. Like at first believe that's true, that, that there's, that professionalism is not monolithic, that, that to believe that's true, then the question is not like, how do I become this thing? How do I make my team become a place where people believe that this is true. It is just, this is who I am. How do I live this out in the context of the leadership role that I have right now? And it's nuanced difference. It's like, how do I lead in a way that makes my team believe that they can bring their whole selves to work versus my team can bring their whole selves to work. How do I make sure that I'm communicating that to them? One of the things that I think about when, when you were giving your answer, there's an element where leaders have to be responsible for checking themselves before jumping into the fray. And this applies to any number of things like new leaders, when they get into any role, whenever there's a fire that starts, their instinct is to go run and jump into the fire and try to solve things when it should be, let's hold back, ask the necessary questions and have the people Mm -hmm. that report into us solve those issues. So in a similar vein, if you're trying to build a culture where you want authenticity in that culture, you want people to bring their whole selves to work, it's got to start with leaders being able to question themselves about their motivations for responding and reacting to something that's happening. So I, I go back to the, the whole professionalism comment uh, that, that we've been talking about. 
a lot of times that word professionalism has been used to gatekeep people like us from moving forward. So if you're a mm -hmm. leader that wants to create a culture where showing up authentically is something that you want to cultivate or foster, if you see something that's happening in that your reports are doing and you're immediately reacting to it in a negative way, that's a warning sign that you should pause and ask yourself, why am I reacting this way to that thing? Is it because there's something that's objectively wrong with what's happening? Or is there an issue of bias that's popping up in how I'm perceiving this information that's causing me to have this negative reaction? And I think there's a lot of lack of discipline when it comes to leadership behavior that, that prevents us or has conditioned us to not take that moment to pause and really see what's going on. Thanks for attending my TED Talk. No, it's true. We say we want to cultivate in and among our team. It's okay to step back and say, I recognize this is why I want to cultivate that, but I also want to be really clear that I've cultivated that in myself. If I want a team of transparent individuals, then I have to pressure test my own transparency. A friend of mine, a great mentor of mine, he was talking about it in the context of theology, but it, it could be the philosophy as well, which ultimately like Dewan, I, I just want to encourage you not to have a philosophy of the thing without the thing. And I think that would be what I'm getting at is there's a lot of people who have philosophies of, of, of authenticity, philosophies of transparency, philosophies of openness and candor, especially after the, the radical candor book came out. It was a thing. The philosophy is so rich that, the, that, that we can have such a rich philosophy around these ideas without the thing itself. So we can have a, a philosophy of, of candor without actually being candid, a philosophy of transparency without actually having transparency. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is going to be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. I, I really like what you said right there. A friend of mine who used to use this phrase, everybody wants to rule the world, but nobody's willing to pack their lunch. What you said reminded me of it because everybody wants the ideal thing. Oh, we want to be this sort of culture. or We want to accomplish this sort of thing. And when it comes to doing the work, there's an unwillingness to do all of the things that's required for you to get there. And it's interesting. And I'm sure you, you'll have something to say on it. When we're talking about everybody wants to go to President's Club or whatever it is uh, on the sales side of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your blocking and tackling look like? How much of that are you doing to get there? Because it just doesn't appear because you wish it. You have to put right. the work in. 
and you can't pick and choose what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. It's like a, it's an all or nothing thing. And that actually brings me to one of the other things that we were mentioned earlier in the conversation, which is if you really want to build an elite team, you can't be taking this paint by numbers approach, this spreadsheet your way to success approach that a lot of leaders take. You can't spreadsheet your way to becoming an elite team. So how is that relevant in the right. context of sales and leadership where you can't really go about taking things as a paint by numbers approach? Yeah. And nothing against spreadsheet. By the way, I think they they have a great place to play in, inside of a sales org and any org. But at the same time, as leaders, I don't think we lead process. I don't think we lead technology. I don't think we lead spreadsheets. I don't think we lead data. We lead people. And so it's not that it's not that you can't lead with the accompaniment of all of those other things that I named and mentioned, but it can't ever be primary. It can't ever be primary. And I think that's where, that's the play. It's just, it's just I, I've had leaders long ago who believe that process, and, and by process defined the spreadsheet here, this dashboard here, this thing here, told such a strong truth that you could plug anybody into a seat and have them adhere to the truth that's being told by this data and by the spreadsheet and by the technology, and you'll have an elite team by virtue of the activities that they perform that align with the data. It's just like that. It's just not true right? because these are individuals. These are people. They have different proclivities. They have different ways of being motivated, things that they like to see as recognition and ways they like to be recognized, opportunities they want, aspirations they have. All of these things play into it. And if you're leading to all of the secondary, tertiary things that I just named and missing the person was not much different than winning an argument and, and losing a relationship. I was laughing as you were describing it because uh, you basically, you relayed every MarTech and sales tech playbook. If you use this thing, it's going to make you elite. It's shifting people's focus into the technology or the process versus what do you need to do at the people level to have success? If you're throwing technology and you haven't solved for what your people actually need to be thriving, you're not really going to solve a whole lot. Dewan, great conversation so far. I think we've laid out a pretty decent map of the landscape and things that, uh, that we should be doing. That brings mm -hmm. me to, to a couple of things. One, if somebody's getting started on this, what are the things that they need to watch out for that are red flags or can steer you wrong? A couple things, for sure. One is, again, making a monolith out of whatever, right? Like, in other words, transparency looks like this, period. So then identifying pieces of people on your team, identifying people on your team who are not, who are not adhering to this idea of transparency that you had and that you've foisted it out as the standard, whatever that, whatever it is. So transparency, like coming as you are, speaking your mind, being candid, like radical candor, like to take any of these principles, which are awesome principles, and then make an, a way of expressing or a way of living out those principles, the standard actually alienates versus empowers. And so I've seen that happen where it's just, you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're not doing that. I want you to feel comfortable bringing your whole self to work. Hey, no, this is me being extremely comfortable bringing myself to work. By the way, this is myself. You should probably take some time to get to know me. So I've seen that be a pitfall and it's something to be careful of because once we find these spaces and these pieces and these areas that, that really resonate and feel really good because of who we are, 
after we've cultivated these aspects of humanity within ourselves, the tension or the the temptation can be to go and try to recreate it in other people as if this is the way to be. I really like what you drew out there. And what you're talking about is the road to success. And the mistake that a lot of leaders make, especially in sales, is that because they experience success or achieve success in this particular way that they experience, they try to cookie cutter everybody else into that path. So rather than manage Mm -hmm. or lead to the outcome, they're managing to the task, which is a big mistake when you're looking at building an elite team. And that's certainly a part of it too. And and then it's even beyond managing to the task. It's like managing to the, managing to the attitude expectation. When I first led a team, like one of the big mistakes I made was exactly what we're talking about. I'm passionate. I know I'm passionate. I see the passion that I have being expressed like I express it. If I see an expression that's not similar to this or a part of this early in my career, I was like, you're not passionate. And that's not true. It it doesn't have to be true. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's true. But the way I understand whether what you're expressing is passion is to get to know you and then to understand that like when you say this or when you move in this way or when your hands go that way or whatever, that is you expressing your passion. And it's not less passionate than me expressing my passion. It's different. It's If I say one of the attributes that we really want to engender and and just really a champion on our team is passion. I could be saying something awesome or I could be saying something extremely detrimental to the team, depending on what I believe passion is and whether I believe passion has individual expressions based on the person or whether I believe passion looks like this, my passion. Great stuff, man. So if people want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? LinkedIn probably is the best. Find me on LinkedIn connect with me, you know, dispute everything that I said, you know, argue, debate um, about some of these things, or let's just, let's have the conversation. I certainly am not as experienced in leadership as some others who have lived this life and may say, Hey, like you may think about this in this way. I'm super open to learn. I want to continue to improve and would love to interact and engage with anybody who's willing. I really appreciate you hanging out with us. And I think this has been a great conversation. So when I think back to all the stuff that we talked about, there's a handful of things that stand out that I want to pull out from this entire conversation. When you were talking about starting out as a server and as a busboy, the big thing that came out of that, that I think is broadly applicable to anybody that is looking to lead, your number one responsibility is to serve your people. So you should be paying attention to what service looks like to each individual on the team. So I think that's an important lesson or principle that I gathered from the conversation that we had. And then there's a series of things that you mentioned in the conversation that I think is really important. When you look at what is the job of leaders, the job of leaders isn't to lead process. It isn't to lead technology. It isn't to lead spreadsheet. It's to lead your people. That's the job. So if you're not centering what you do with a people-first mindset, you're steering yourself wrong. Those are important things to, to call out and highlight for those who have been listening to the conversation. So I appreciate you hanging out. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, we appreciate you hanging out. Let us know what you thought of the conversation and leave us a review. Tune in next time where we will bring in another great leader like Dewan And they will share with us the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. 
Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.